Hello and welcome once again to the Irish NFL podcast, brought to you in association with Titan Roofing, a one-stop shop for all your roofing needs in Dublin. As always, I'm Mark Cockrell, a fan of the Newton-led New England Patriots, and I'm joined as always by my good friend Brian O'Leary, a fan of the Saquon-less New York Giants, and Gordon Bridgefield, a fan of the strangely healthy Pittsburgh Steelers. Gents, good evening. Good evening, Mark. Evening, Mark. So, James, I remember last week I kicked off with like a quote from Henry V once more into the breach, dear friends. And there's another line from it that kind of reminisces in my mind when I think of week two. Um, a famous line in is, there are few die well that die in a battle. And if you look at the battlefield of the gridiron last week, there were plenty that died and fell over and season-ending injuries galore. Uh, across the board and certainly if you're wearing a San Francisco 49ers jersey it's only a matter of time before you're about to get injured. Gordo maybe you bring us through the news and give us an update on all of the the various ins and outs and ails and ailments. To be honest I think the the news segment is going to be made up of uh, one thing and one thing only and it's uh, injuries and within that ACLs in particular and poor Brian obviously had a, a a a very disturbing weekend when his main man, Saquon Barkley, went down and tore his, uh, tore his ACL. Uh, to Brian's um, view now, he thinks Barkley was targeted. He thinks it was all against Barkley on the day. But to be honest, it was just an awful weekend of injuries. You had another ACL injury in Nick Bosa. You had Solomon Thomas, uh, Cortland Sutton, Bruce Irvin. You then had shoulder surgery, uh, shoulder injuries to a couple of players. Again, Another one of Brian's favourites, Drew Locke, the one that he banked on at the start of the season, out for four to six weeks. Uh, and we now see Blake Bortles has been signed by the Broncos to come in uh, as relief. Um, but then McCaffrey as well out. Mozart, sorry, the 49ers are absolutely decimated with injuries after uh, last weekend. Jimmy G, Mozart, um, Nick Bosa, and then obviously they already have uh, Kittles have injured as well. So yeah, it was just a, a weekend of injuries galore and a lot of it to do with the 4G pitches as well over in America, which people are, some of the players are complaining about. Um, but then probably the most absurd story that has come out over the last few hours is Tyroy Taylor in the Chargers, where we saw Justin Herbert come on and have an absolute phenomenal game in relief of uh, Tyroy Taylor, who literally only pulled out of the game apparently in the warm-ups. Um, nobody knew it. Justin Herbert what didn't realize he was going to get a game time. Uh, and it's now come out that the doctor was... Uh, there was an issue with the injection at first is what we heard. And then it was broken there an hour ago that the doctor punctured Tyroid Taylor's lung uh, as he was trying to uh, give him some pain relief for an injured rib. One of the most outrageous stories uh, I think we've ever heard. Uh, and the NFLPA are now investigating it. So it'd be very interesting to see where that goes. But uh, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise for the Chargers. And it's also the, the kind of year-on-year story for Tyroid Taylor. He comes in and next thing gets replaced by a rookie quarterback. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the roundup of a, an injury-ridden week two in the NFL. Well, I think uh, you've touched on quite a few there, Gordon. Um, the 49ers, you're right, that's the one that just jumps out at you. It's just bizarre the amount of injuries that they've picked up on Sunday. Jimmy G, he's gone for the weekend. It's already been confirmed today. So, Mullins is going to start. You're calm the running back. He's gone. Mostert has gone. Um, two back-to-back plays. They lost two of their key defensive players, Solomon Thomas and Nick Bosa. So 
Yeah, like we, we talked highly of the 49ers for the season, but it's hard to see how they uh, how they could come back from this and win the division, especially with the good start that the Cardinals have had. But yeah, it's just it's a shame. And I think a lot of this probably just comes back to the, the conversation we've been having for weeks around the unusual training camps that have taken place and the lack of preseason games. I know a lot of first team players don't tend to play, but they still get some kind of action. They get used to the kind of the surroundings of being out on the field again, and that hasn't been there. And then the limited time in training camp where I think they only had 12 to 14 days of proper practice in terms of being able to hit players properly. So I think all of that is factored into what we've seen. And I don't think we're, it's, we're at the end of it. Like, I imagine we'll probably see a few more in week three, week four. Look, I was going to ask a question on that, Brian, because, I mean, you know, if it was muscle strains and stuff, I'd agree, like, almost the conditioning hasn't happened. I mean, is it just not a bizarre one-off week? I mean, when you see ACLs popping and things like that, that's not that's not conditioning. That's just, like, you know, horrific, unlucky injuries and things like that. Yeah, I, I agree to a certain extent, but then you see shoulder injuries. Anthony Barrett, linebacker for the Vikings, he's gone for the season. Drew Locke, six weeks high ankle sprains on three or four players, okay, you could say it's quite unusual and see the same injury and picked up, but I would have taught them injuries more so than the ACLs, like you touched on there. Unfortunate situations where players have just gone for the year. Referring back to uh, Gordon's comments on the Barkley one, um, yeah, I'm not the only one who's called it out that when he was going on that particular play where he was, let's just say, hauled to the ground by Jackson of the Bears, it certainly looked like a play that he could have been shepherded out of bounds. And that wasn't the case. The Bears player decided to he put a marker down on him. But um, anyway, we move on from that. We've... Uh, I, I'm just saying, Brian, there was no penalty called on the play, just like Mo Lewis's hit on Drew Bledsoe, just like Lawrence Taylor and Joe Theismann. Sometimes stuff happens. But I know, I know you feel strongly about it. We'll, we'll come to the Giants. We'll come to... You know, um, who's, you know, the battle of the, the injury lists, I suppose, in the 49ers-Giants game for uh, week three later on. But let's get to the games in week two. And, gents, I have to say, there's only one game we can start with. There are rarely regular season games that move the needle in terms of excitement, bizarreness, just uh, unbelievable swings. There are also very rarely regular season games that feature 79 points in a game. But last Sunday, the San the San Francisco, the Dallas Cowboys, somehow, I'm still not quite sure how, beat the Atlanta Falcons 40-39. Brian, please make sense of this. That's some parts of the game. The last week we didn't necessarily pick the Cowboys to win the game. We picked the Cow- the Falcons to cover the handicap and Gordon is the only one actually picked the Cowboys to win the game at right. But and a lot of that was down to the fact that wasn't thrilled with what we've seen out of Dallas in week one. Their offense was a bit sporadic and that kind of went into the game. Really on, they had a number of fumbles and the Falcons' offense was explosive and they took advantage of all those mistakes made by the Cowboys. And I wasn't surprised because during the previous podcast, we discussed how good we felt the Falcons could be offensively. Matt Ryan is still a quality quarterback and Gordy, if he's fit, was a good player and Hayden Horse is a good tight end and Ridley, Julio Jones... So, look, 20 nil a half, uh, sorry, 20 nil at the end of the first quarter, 29-10 at half time. It's a blowout as far as everybody's concerned. You only had to watch a certain part of red zones to see that there was very little traction in terms of them coming to the game, which tends to happen when the game is so one-sided. But just gradually, as 
two quarters start to progress. The Cowboys started to get a couple of touchdowns back. Dak Prescott went out, went in with a couple of sneaks. And then the old saying, and we said it last week, the Lions do what the Lions do. And I think the Falcons are starting to fall into that, that category, which is the Falcons are starting to do what the Falcons do, and they just find ways to throw games away. And it's just bizarre. Like the onside kick is bizarre. They've even now come out saying some of the players have actually said they weren't sure of the rule. Because there's so many, there's so few onside kicks. Um, one in terms of the, the team trying to get the ball that's the, the rule has changed in the past year in terms of how far back the ball has been kicked from and, but some of the players were confused in particular around whether they should be jumping on the ball or whether they're allowed the ball to to uh, just let it spin out and then Dak Prescott over here players saying the same thing after the game Look, can, just, I just, can I just say that it's been 10, year, 10 yards it's still 10 yards I mean that is just a failure of coaching like your special teams players should know 100% said, hey, are we going to go for the ball earlier? What's the technique? What's the practice? And 10 yards is 10 yards. The ball is live, guys. I mean, that is, that's high school. That's not NFL school. They're calling the onside kick the watermelon kick. Um, it's, an, it's a new one that the, the, the Cowboys have picked up on and uh, haven't taken too much time out in the park this week to have a go at it. But uh, it's, it was an unusual looking one. Insane. But... Look, fair play to the Cowboys. They never gave in and after being down at halftime with that score and having lost the first week, it, it certainly looked like this is the Cowboys that we're all used to. But um, they've come back and um, look, it could be, it's very early to know, to know when it's a, a season changing result. But um, we'll see how they go. It's, it's, I'd put it more so down to the Falcons collapsing. It was a mad, it was a mad game. I think uh, it was actually Mark who was the only one to call this incorrectly who had the Cowboys in it. And fair play to him. Is in like what? What more can Matt Ryan do on offense? He's been playing phenomenally well the last few weeks. Um, four um, touchdowns thrown, zero interceptions. But again, when a defense gives up, and let's let's make this point: the head coach for the and Atlanta Falcons is Dan Quinn, who is a defensive head coach, and yet Dak Prescott threw four hundred and fifty yards, like four hundred and fifty yards. Like no matter what Atlanta tried, they can't. You can't win games, and it was the same in week one. It's just killing them at the moment on defense. Um, it was great to see as well C.D. Lamb, who we all had very highly in the preseason, got his first 100-yard game, a rookie uh, wide receiver, and Amari Cooper, another 100-yard game as well. Like You just can't give up 450 yards, especially when you're that far ahead. It just feels like the Falcons are in just this weird position at the moment. But yeah, again, another really high-scoring game. But um, yeah, I'm assuming Dan Quinn's head is very much on the chopping block. In the fourth quarter, there was one particular play, and that's actually a lot of people have come out since saying that's when they felt the game had turned in terms of momentum because the Cowboys had got back into it and the Falcons had a trick play in which Matt Ryan handed it off to one of the wide receivers, Gage, <clears throat> who, who then in turn threw the ball 20, 40 yards into the end zone. Julio Jones was completely unmarked and he dropped it, which is so unlike him to drop it. And the commentator at the time said, oh, that's interesting. Will that come back to bite them? And yeah, it did. Yeah, that would literally would have put the game away. Which is not, not so different than what Falcons have done in the past, even in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Well, I mean, look, it's easy to say with retrospect, but the amount of times the Falcons in every single place, they just knelt on the ball and continued to let the clock bleed. I mean, it would have helped. Of course, they're not going to do that. And it's too negative to do early in the fourth quarter. But that's the practical reality. Um the one thing, I, I couldn't agree more that Dan Quinn's neck is on the line. Last year, he was lucky, actually, to survive. 
um, with a strong bounce back in the second half of the season, going um, seven and one, I think, in the last eight games, which really encouraged Blank to keep him on. But you're now talking about someone who's presided not over, not only over what the worst ever postseason, but like well, Super Bowl history defeat in when losing the 28-3 lead, but now. Um, one of the worst ever regular season defeats in terms of the the whole balance of power. It's probably not the worst, but it's up there. It's going to be up there on the epic collapses of all time. And yeah, um, my man Calvin Ridley got two touchdowns in the first quarter, which kind of paid for some of my betting this weekend. But uh, outside of that, I mean, it was just, look, it's a great game. As a neutral fan, I'm not a fan of the Cowboys or the Falcons. I just loved it. It was drama. It was excitement. It was you know, great football on offense and pretty terrible football on defense. But for week two of the NFL, not a bad game to watch. Um, speaking of not bad games to watch, um, another game we're going to focus on, my, my New England Patriots were playing at Seattle. Um, the last few games between these two teams have always come down to the very final play right on the goal line, whether it's Malcolm Butler's interception Cam Chancellor stopping Gronk uh, at a great game at Gillette a few years ago, or this week with uh, Cam Newton being stopped, trying to run it in from the one-yard line, which he'd done earlier in the game to quite successful effect. Um, again, look, if you're a neutral or if you hate the Patriots, uh, this was a great game. Um, the fundamental difference in this, like in week one for me, was Russell Wilson. Like The guy is balling. He threw for five touchdowns. Um, other than self-inflicted penalties, the Seahawks offense looked unstoppable in this game. I mean, as a fan, I was tearing my hair out by the, the Patriots defense, but they looked super impressive. Of course, he threw a pick six in the opening drive. But outside of that, the Hawks were very effective. Patriots kind of relied on big chunk plays. Edelman went for 176 yards and Newton ran a pretty efficient game. So, Exciting, interesting, in balance, good fourth quarter comeback. But for me, I think it was obvious the Seahawks were going to win most of the game. And in fact, in my view, they deserved to win. And they did cover as well, like I think we all called. Um, Just on Seahawks, their offense, as you said, Wilson is very dynamic and they played really well. Um, We've voiced our concerns about how good the Patriots defense can be this year. But... You've seen the amount of points that Cam was able to put up on on this uh, Seattle defense, and in particular in going into Seattle, 30 points. Um, that doesn't bode too well for Seahawks in the long run. And um, I actually felt the Patriots were more deserving of the win, actually, Mark, I would have. Um, but I just felt in the end, the, the play call at the end for, the touch, for, for Cam to run in, he ran two touchdowns in earlier in the game to the left angle. And for the last one, they went left angle again. I just felt, having done it, it could have been a fake handoff earlier and thrown it to your new German superstar who caught a touchdown. Um, I felt they could have considered, you know, the fake run pass option because I just think that he, they went with the, it looked like they called the exact same play. Seattle were ready for them. I mean, he didn't even get beyond the yard on it on, and he went he went jumping very early, which he had to because he, he knew he was under pressure. So, so don't get me wrong, that was one of the frustrating things as a fan. Josh McDaniels isn't beloved by all Patriots fans. He's a very talented offensive coordinator, but his play calling is sometimes questioned. And I agree, I didn't like the play call. Cam came out afterwards, he said, oh yeah, I should have bounced it out. There was an opportunity to bounce it out and I could have run it in. I actually thought, looking at the play a few times and looking at the coaches filming and get on game pass, was like, 
it still wasn't there if he bounced it out, Cal. I was kind of taking the blame on himself, which as a quarterback and leader he's trying to do. Um, but I agree, it wasn't an inspired play call in any way, shape or form. And, um, it wasn't an inspired play call by the Seahawks either trying to kill the game off. They were on a t- I think they were on a third and one. You know, try to take the yard and kill the clock. The game would have been over. But Wilson being Wilson, they trusted him to get the yard and he goes for a long, deep, deep uh, throw, which was unusual. And do you, do you know what? It's funny. Like, Russell Wilson has been one of those players, especially when he broke in and won his Super Bowl in his second season, that, you know, you kind of think of, oh, he's a new superstar. He's never even been, I think, in the top three of, MB, of MVP, MVP voting. He's been let down by an inconsistent offensive line. He hasn't had a running game, really, since Lynch left. And he still performs. And now we're looking at him. And he's, what, I think 31 now. He's an eight-year veteran. He is one of the almost the veteran old guards now and you're kind of going shit you know he's he's a super impressive player and done an awful lot um in seattle with not very much i think that's the biggest piece that's kind of coming out of the weekend is russell wilson taking the seahawks and carrying him on his back like five touchdowns 288 yards and i think it is it's the third year of the new offensive coordinator in charge and i think we're starting to see um, wilson coming to his own but I think the kind of concerning part for me, I think Cam Newton is the savior for the New England Patriots two weeks in. I think most people would say, you've managed to get a quality quarterback. He is as good as he used to be. But on the rushing side of things, the over-reliance on him is very evident. And it's one that I had to point out. Like, you've got people like Sony Michelle, but like 19 yards. Like, Cam Newton led the rushing for the second week in a row with 47 yards. Like, that can't last. Like, you're, you're a one-dimensional offense. And then also... Julian Edmond, 179, it's brilliant, but let's be honest, he is not a number one wide receiver long-term for a full season. But I do think it's the, I think it's the rushing is the most concerning part, you have to admit, for the for the Patriots. Yeah, no, good. I couldn't agree more. I mean, on, and anybody that was not named Cam Newton, I think it was 14 carries for a net of 20 yards. Like, that is unsustainable. And Sonny Michel has never lived up to his first-round pick. Um, Julian Edelman is a number one receiver. I'm just going to just state a fact in relation to it. But, you know, the best postseason receiver of all time, in fact. If you, been, you, you have been living on that stat for quite a few years now, and you love throwing it out there. And I, and I will continue to do so. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the problem there is I don't, I don't think outside of Edelman and Nikhil Harry is still up and down whether he's the player that they expected when they drafted him last year. So the support, and as you said, Son Michel hasn't lived up to the heights. I don't even think he finished the game. I think he might have been taken out of the game at halftime because Rex Burkett seemed to get a lot of carries in the second half. But it's, it's certainly a um, running back by committee. He did, and Burkett obviously offers you more flexibility out of the backfield. But that's one of the things. Pat's had to put um, Damien Harris on the, the, the short-term IR, effectively. I think he, after week three, he can come back. But during training camp, the real fe- feeling was he was going to take over. Um, very much either as a strong feature back or otherwise but look the Patriots will do what the Patriots will do they'll figure it out and they've got a couple of interesting games going up so that will be coming up so that'll be interesting for them I want to move to the next key feature game that we want to talk about guys which again was a really great game and you know a really great game for uh, Monday Night Football as well New Orleans Saints at the home of the Las Vegas Raiders and, and, you know, I think we talked about an early season, Gordo. I'm high on the Raiders. You're high on the Raiders. And here, in a big game, they stepped up. It was a, oh, it was a, a, what a game for Monday Night Football. And I think it kind of kicked off the way you would expect from someone like Gruden, who handed possession to the New Orleans Saints to 
to kick off the first ever game in Las Vegas and give them the opportunity to get the first ever points on the on the scoreboard. But it was a brilliant game. It was a slow start for um, Derek Carr, and I think people were a little bit concerned. But after the first quarter, uh, New Orleans Saints 10-0 up, uh, Derek Carr just kind of came into his own. And again, Derek Waller, his tight end, had a phenomenal game uh, in this one, 103 yards, 12 receptions, um, with Derek Carr getting 282 yards and three touchdowns. And again, Josh Jacobs proving that he is a phenomenal running back uh, who can just gain the yardage. But I think the biggest piece was just Derek Carr was throwing passes to every potential receiving option out there. And I think that was a really interesting point that we touched on in preseason was the the Raiders with Mike Mayock as their general manager, the big NFL draft guru in the last few years, they have drafted really, really, really well. Um, on the Saints side, it looks a bit concerning for Drew Brees. Um, it's similar to what we kind of discussed last week about Tom Brady. Age seems to be coming into a little bit, a very over-reliance on Alvin Kamara as well to guarantee you your touchdowns. But yeah, I would have said that Drew Brees looked a bit, he looked a bit old. He looked a bit tiring more than anything else. But yeah, great for not 2-0 two, two for the Las Vegas Raiders. Like, I don't think any of us picked this game. I think we all, as much as we wanted to, we all went with the New Orleans Saints. So yeah, what a Monday night football game. Yeah, and, and look, I, I just want to echo what you're saying about the flexibility on the Raiders' offense. 12 different receivers um, called a pass. And Waller in particular, I mean, if you're thinking of the great tight ends in the league at the moment, Kelsey, you know, um, uh, I was going to say Witten, but that may be Kittle is what I was going to say. Um, but you would not have put Waller in there. He's a fourth-year pro, kind of very much below the radar. But he was running away from cornerbacks. He was getting open every single play. Car was finding him. It was... It was poetry motion. It's because of the threats they've got elsewhere around the field. So that was a, you know, a really impressive performance by that team generally. I mean, Chucky might end up having to pay a few quid for failing to put his mask on. But other than that, he's got to be extremely happy with the performance. Well, J- Jason Witten, you'd mentioned him there, one reception, three yards for a very important first down, um, which was really impo- uh, interesting. I think one of the interesting points well to raise was Mark Davis, the owner. Uh, wasn't at this game, wasn't at the first ever game. They announced it in the, the warm-up that Mark Davis uh, would not be attending any Las Vegas Raider games until fans were allowed in the stadium uh, as a show of solidarity. So a decent little PR. So inside of that, or as he just can't afford to get in there himself because he's so broke from building the stadium. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one that the, the only owner so far that hasn't turned up to one of his home games. Yeah, very little, really. That's the same in the game. One thing I did pick up on, having seen Jacob score three touchdowns in Carolina last week, that uh, the expectation is when they got into the red zone, is they would have been using him quite heavily. And maybe that's what, Seattle, or sorry, that's what uh, the Saints were expecting. But the efficiency that Carr showed in the red zone in terms of the touchdown throws was really kind of good. And it just goes to show maybe last year when Gruden felt that Carr wasn't the man for him, you know, maybe just as well he, he held on and didn't go jumping the gun during the offseason and being another quarterback because Amy Carr is going to prove him wrong. It certainly does. Well, two, two, two things on that. In the first half, it looked like his offensive line was going to get him killed, to be honest with you. And well, the thought that was going through my mind was it was a good thing Gruden didn't pick up Brady because Brady would have just been skin and bones at that stage, um, having broken a few times. And the other thing you say about Josh Jacobs and certainly really exciting running back, but there was a stat they flashed up in Monday Night Football that the most yards by a Raiders running back after 15 games, and they went 
uh, um, Bo Jackson, 1,088 yards, Marcus Allen, 1,091 yards, and then Josh Jacobs, 1,300 yards. And what I actually loved is one of the co-commentators kind of said, guys, can you at least get a full season in before we start comparing him to these kind of players? And it was like, okay, a bit of, a bit of sanity. So she's, um, you know, lots, lots, lots going on there. But well, guys, that was last week. I think we should move on very swiftly on to next week and what's coming up. Um, obviously, we can talk about some of the other games as we talk about the previews for week three. But, Brian, before we get to that, maybe you give us a little bit of an update on the betting. Uh, obviously, the nap came in again for us, which was very nice. Um, and, in fact, I'm, I'm panicking about week three, mate, because there don't look some, there doesn't look like a lot of easy betting games in week three, to say the least. Yes, week three is there. Slate of games is a little bit more difficult as uh, than what we had in week two. But um, in terms of the betting, yeah, we we picked the Packers last week as the banker. They covered a handicap. It was a bit bit dodgy early on. The Lions came out well, but Packers gradually pulled away. We were unfortunate on the other bets. Um, on the quarterback bets, um, Cam did the business. Um, Josh Allen didn't, and then um, we had we selected Kyler Murray on a, on a separate bet as well, which came in. So. Um, Look onwards and upwards, the banker landed, and that's that's the most important. So, but yeah, just to the point, yeah, it looks like a tough round of games for us to be picking. So let's get on to the games then, and we'll start off with on the six pm games. The Dolphins at the Jags. The Dolphins are taking three points. It's plus three. The Gold Dolphins is the line on this one, and both teams were remarkably competitive. They both only lost in by three points last week in games that they were expected to lose by a lot more. Buffalo pip in Miami and the Titans pip in Jacksonville. Minshew Mania still lives. Guys, how do you see this one going now? Uh, I, th- I think this one, I think Jacksonville, are they haven't really hit their stride yet. Uh, I think Minshew is turning into a really, really good quarterback. Uh, interesting bit of uh, back and forth between himself and um, uh, Fitzmagic on their beard versus the mustache, which seems to be the, the, the hot topic ahead of this game. I think personally, I think Miami are you know, 0-2, and they're going to be 0-3 after this one. I think Jacksonville win this one, and they win it very well. I would have been confident on the Dolphins until I read some of the injuries that have come through this evening. Um, they've lost a couple of players on defense, in particular, Byron Jones, the cornerback who they brought in from Dallas. He's now out of the game. And um, I, was, I wasn't too far off last week in terms of that game. I did say that I thought the Dolphins. The Dolphins were leading going into the fourth quarter. They only won by three points in the end, the Bills. So they gave them a game. But uh, yeah, I think the injuries are going to be too much. I'm actually going to pick the, the Jags. I'm surprised I'm actually picking the Jags to win a game. The so, handicap is only three points. That just says tells says it all. The bookies think it's a yeah. tight game. I'll, I'll, I'll go with the Jags just to just to win. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Jags. I mean, it's kind of earlier in the season I felt much more confident about the Dolphins. But whoever loses this game now is going to be on three and stick a fork in them. They're done. Um, the Jags have shown me more heart, more excitement this year. So, uh, you know, I'll take the the points and go with them in the Battle of Florida this weekend. Um, the next game, gents, I would say the surprising Chicago Bears against the devastated Atlanta Falcons. Um, the line on this one is the Bears plus three and a half at the moment. Um, you know, Gordo, can the Falcons come back? Trubisky, lads. Trubisky is still in a starting job, and he actually is. He's not. Sorry, he's not. I was about to say he's performing well. He's not performing well. If you look at last week's game, um, the passing 
luckily they didn't rely too heavily on him. The de- defense was so good. I'm going with the Falcons. Um, I still think their offense is so strong in terms of Matt Ryan and what he's doing there with the wide receivers. Now, they do have the weakest secondary at the moment. They give up a lot of yards, like we just mentioned. But to be honest, Dak Prescott can throw 450 yards against them. I'm pretty sure Mitchell Trubisky cannot. So I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons to cover the minus three. Don't disagree, Ricardo, on anything you said there. Um, yeah, the Falcons, you know, in the first game at home against the Seahawks, they put up good points. They did the same last week, and I can see them doing the same against the Bears. And can I see Trubisky doing the same kind of damage to the, to their defense that the other teams have done? No, and I think the Falcons will win and react well to last week's disappointing result and cover the handicap three and a half points. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Trubisky last week did win these games, seventeen thirteen against the Giants, but he was like eighteen for twenty eight for one ninety yards, two TDs, but two interceptions. Um, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I think the Falcons will back, back, bounce back with a vengeance. Um, they will still pull up points. They'll just have too much for the Bears, and I'll quite happily take the points on this one um, with the Falcons. Um, the next game, gents, the Bengals at the Philadelphia Eagles. It's fair to say the Bengals are performing with Joe Burrow a little bit better than might have been expected, although no one was expecting very much. The Eagles, on the other hand, are very much playing down to expectations and not performing, very much blown out against their game of the weekend against the Rams, losing 37-19. Um, at the moment, it's the Bengals plus six on the line, which seems generous to Philadelphia, I'd suggest. I, I'm, I'm looking at this game and I, like Carson Wentz, I think people in Philadelphia must be at this point wondering when Jalen Hurts is going to get a rollout. Like he's in Carson Wentz is just, he's, he's going backwards at the moment. And in Zach Hurts as well, there must be some issue. Just pay the man or do something because he's not performing either. I'm high on the Bengals at the moment with the way they perform against the Browns last weekend. I think at plus six, it's a really nice one for the Bengals. Uh, and I'm actually going to, bank on the Bengals to get a win in this game and to beat the Eagles Yeah I don't know if he's actually picked up on the fact that the, the crowd noise that was being pumped into the stadiums at the weekend so in Lincoln Field where the Eagles play when Carson Wentz threw an interception they, they played booze as he, was, as he was coming off the field so their own, their own internal stadium announcer is, is booing him when he's coming off so there might be no fans there but he's pretty much summing up how the Eagles fans feel um, I'm not going into the Bengals just yet. Yeah, I know Burrow played well last week, but this is now getting to a situation where the Eagles have to win, and I do think they will win this weekend. And six points, I think they'll. Yeah, I think they'll cover. I'm not. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be convinced by it. I certainly wouldn't be putting any money on it. But I do think they'll win the game and cover. Yeah. I was about. I was about to say the same thing, Brian. Is like if you see me putting money anywhere near this game, please shoot me. Um, I don't trust either of the teams, so it's kind of a who do you trust less? And I feel I feel somewhat dirty and scared about it, but I'll take the Eagles with the minus six, um, even though I can just see a backdoor Bengals cover coming a mile away on it. Um, the next game, Texans versus the Steelers. The Texans, like we're talking about, make or break time. I mean. Don't get me wrong, they've had a horrific start to the season having to play the Chiefs and the Ravens. Now they go into the Steelers. It's not exactly the easiest three, first three weeks of the season. The line is the, Steel, the Texans plus three and a half. Steelers sit at two and oh. Texans are sitting at oh and two. This is about balance of power in the AFC as well. Um, and the Steelers want to keep up with the Ravens. 
you know, Big Ben does the business and consigns Deshaun to another defeat. Steelers are healthy at the moment. Um, you've kind of said it yourself, Brian, and started the, or Mark started this. And then the Texans, with their so-called franchise quarterback, um, I just haven't performed in 0-2. I think they go 0-3 for this one. Uh, and I'm back in my Steelers. I think the defense is so strong. I think Big Ben is just getting better week on week. He still isn't there fully, but and then also the rushing attack is working well at the moment. So I go minus three for the Steelers easily on this one. They said it's the most difficult start of season for any team in terms of the strength of schedule for something like 60 years. That what the Texans have been handed. I don't see them winning this weekend, but I wouldn't be getting too high on the Steelers just yet. Driscoll, quarterback who was struggling with the Lions, comes in and shows a shows a game for the Broncos last weekend, and you know that went down to the wire. You know so. I wouldn't be just saying the Steelers' defense is completely dominant just yet. I actually don't think the Steelers will cover because it's three and a half. I think the Steelers will win by a late field goal. I'm going I'm to go a bit more controversial, guys, because I just think the Texans have looked poor in losing to two really good teams. The Steelers have looked good in beating two very poor teams. And I think this week, with the season effectively on the line for the Texans, they're going to bounce back. Um, they're going to win. Actually, outright, I'll take the points if you give them to me. But I'm on the Texans this week to upset the steel curtain and the yellow flags, the yellow towels. Sorry. The next game, gents, uh, the LA Rams, the Buffalo Bills. It's fair to say the Rams are exceeding expectations. They've started two and zero. They were quite convincing in in last week's game, at least, um, and they beat two teams from um, the NFC East there. Um, and they're going to play a game against the Bills, who are also 2-0. And look, Sean McDermott is renowned as a great coach. I'm going to say Sean McDermott should replace David Copperfield because the magic he's working in turning Josh Allen into an actual, real-life NFL quarterback is something unreal. Um, a great performance by him, including a great fourth quarter comeback in their win against Miami last week. Guys, the line is two points, sorry, plus two for the Rams in this one. I'm really conflicted on this. This is a you know this is what I'm saying. Many of these games are tough to call. What are your thoughts on it? I think this is the week where the Rams start uh, drops off in terms of uh, wins. I think the Bills will win. Um, I just feel that that Bills defense, in particular when they're at home, can be really effective. And no, I'm going to stick with the Bills. There's two points. I mean, two point handicap. It's not far off a pick'em game. So, you, you know, you're, you're giving me the fact that they're at home, albeit there's no crowd there. The Rams are coming across to the East Coast. I know. It's Bills for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I, like you said, this is a really, really tough game to pick. Uh, I'm high on the Bills, have been all off season. I'm still worried about Josh Allen and how much he can take with the amount of hits he's taking and the amount of rushing he's doing at the moment. But he's playing phenomenally well. He's carrying this team. Uh, the pickup at wide receiver has done him wonders as well. So I'm going to go with the Bills, but to be honest, I think you could flip a coin on this one. I'm not as down on the Rams as, as Brian is, but I think, yeah, I think you could just flip a coin, to be honest. Um, I'm going to say that the difference is going to be that the Bills are at home, so the Rams have to travel cross-country, which obviously for a 6 o'clock for our time, 1 o'clock game obviously in the US, does tend to mess with West Coast teams a little bit more. Um normally um although you know they, they, they've got quite good at it i think over the last while I'll, I'll take the bills i don't feel strongly that they're gonna absolutely walk it it's gonna be a, should be a very good competitive game 
But I think they've got it in them to go 3-0 and and keep dominating in terms of the AFC East. Speaking of the AFC East, uh, again, the, my New England Patriots, they'll be back at home and they are playing the Darlings of Monday Night Football, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Brian, is there a line on this game yet? I'm not sure if we... Yeah, there is, yeah, Merrick. Sorry, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't there when we put the sheet together for the games. And Patriots are minus six points. Minus six? Yes. <laughs> oh, you, got your, you got the Raiders getting six points, yeah. Mark, Mark you can call this one first off. I want to yeah, hear... I, I, I mean, I was going to say, guys, I think with the performance of the two teams, I wouldn't be surprised that the, the Raiders were favourites and you, you'd feel strongly about them. You know... Um, they certainly look super impressive among the football and the Patriots defense is like Swiss cheese. Um, but the Pats at home and being one on one and wanting to bounce back, I'd, you know, I try not to put my fandom in front of me and say the Pats all the way, but I'd be a fan of the Pats. If you're giving me the Pats and six points, hell yeah. Because, you know, the Patriots were very competitive, even in the Seahawks game. I, I, yeah, I'll take that any day of the week. Raiders might win it by a field goal, but they're not blowing them out. I think this is a legacy type uh, line. You know, nine times out of ten, when the Patriots are home, they tend to get tend to be six and a half points. You know, one, uh, favorites, and um, I think maybe the Buccaneers just haven't are not convinced by the by the Raiders just yet because of the fact that they played the Panthers and then with the Saints missing Michael Thomas last week and being the first game in Las Vegas, they probably just feel that there's still a few things there that they're just Go Sorry, Brian, I misheard you. Uh, did you say the Patriots were minus six or the Patriots are plus six? Minus six. Oh, minus six. Oh, that's a stupid line as well. Then I'm taking the Raiders. They're not going <laughs> to... Okay. I thought you were saying... I thought you were just saying it was the Pats plus six. I was no, going, Mark. Come on, Mark. You should know by now. When the Patriots are home, they're always a touchdown. Well, yeah. that's why... Sorry, that's why I'm so surprised. No, like, I mean, the Patriots shouldn't be plus uh, minus six on this game either. Like, that's I would have thought it. this game would have been around minus three, three and a half. Yeah. Normal three points for being at home type of thing. But the fact I, that they I, played on Monday night, sorry, God, the fact that they played on Monday night, I know, they, I know the Pages played on Sunday night, but Monday night, a couple of days to get back together, fly over the East Coast. They probably, that's, I said, and the fact that they're always very strong in Gillette, that's the reason. Um, in terms of the pick, while I'm talking, yeah, I think the Pages will win, and I do think they'll cover. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on this one. I think the everyone is going to get, get a little bit high on uh, the Vegas Raiders after the performance last weekend. But like, again, I think they're going to struggle when they go over across to Foxborough. And I think the Patriots with Cam Newton have been playing really well, but at minus six, I'm finding it really hard to, to back them. I think the Patriots will win, but I think the Raiders will cover the plus six. Fair enough. Well, next game, Brian, you're going to have an interest in the, you know, San Francisco Hospital. Oh, sorry, the San Francisco 49ers uh, are minus four and a half points uh, playing against the New York Giants. Um, Mr. Gordon Bridgeville, I think, had the New York Giants winning the NFC East as a, one of his predictions this year. They obviously have started not as well as they would have liked and they've had some bad news, but surely, surely they can beat and Danny Dimes can beat what is... You know, they, the 49ers might come out on crutches and, you know, be rolled out in their hospital beds to get a full team together for this game, Brian. Mark, we're actually playing better than people will give us credit for because we're a 0-2 team. doesn't 
really factor into how they performed. They could have won the Brian, they scored game. 13 points against the Bears. <laughs> so, true, true. But they had the opportunity to win at the end. They didn't take it. They played well enough. They're actually, they gave the game away, to be honest. You know, they gave 10 points away very early. They had a two-minute drive before halftime. The Bears didn't score at all in the second half. They were 17 little down at halftime, came back. Didn't get the win. I'm not going to continue to go on about it. But yeah, to the point, I think we're playing well enough to give the Niners a game anyway. And the fact that they're missing so many players, they have a backup quarterback out there. Um, in terms of Barkley gone, we brought in Devontae Freeman today. He signed. Um, I'm not saying he'd be really effective immediately, but I think we spoke about him before the season and felt he's a good enough running back to come in and help any team. And I think once he gets used to what's expected of, of him in terms of the running back, I think he'll do well for the Giants. And I, I do think we'll win in Sunday. And we're getting four and a half points, by the way. Still, four, plus four and a half. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand the handicap line whatsoever in this game. Like, uh, is, is the four and a half points purely because Barkley's gone? Because if that's the case, like, are, are they not looking at the 49ers? Um, I was high in the Giants, as you mentioned, Mark. Thanks for bringing that up again. Um, really appreciate that one. But I do think Barkley changes all of that for the season. He is your main man. He's gone. Devontae Freeman is a good acquisition. He's not going to do much. There's a reason why he was still available as a free agent, obviously. I'm actually... He wanted too much money, Gord. Is that what it is? Wanted too much? Yeah. That's okay. pretty much it. Well, look, when you've got a value for yourself, you, you wait for the money. I'm going to go with the 49ers on this because I like uh, the quarterback, Nick Mullins. Isn't that his name, Nick Mullins? Nick Mullins, yes. Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. I like him. The, the, he, he had two big wins, I think it was last year, the year before last. Um, I just think the 49ers, I think it would be a massive upset to rally around with all the injuries you have to beat the Giants. So um, no real theory or anything behind it, but I'm just going to go with the 49ers. Uh, I'm going to go with them to cover the minus four and a half. It's more of a fun bet for me, to be honest. Mullins played against the Giants two years ago, Gordon. Did yeah. he win? And, and no. beat them. No, he didn't. The Giants won. Oh, right. Yeah. Eli, Eli showed him. Gouda, when you initially said his name, though, I thought you said Mick Mullins. I was going to say, no, 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 that's the guy that can get your Skoda Octavia down in Carrick on Shore. <laughs> he's thinking of he's thinking Larry Mullins. <laughs> I'm moving swiftly on. So, Mark, who are you picking? You haven't said who you're picking. I have not. And I... Look, I just mentioned about West Coast team coming East Coast. It's a challenge. I honestly, like, want to try and figure out how the balance is going to lie on this one. Um, and I rate Nick Mullins better than I do Mitch Trubitsky. But if you're losing your best defenders and your tight end and your running back, at what point does it fall off a cliff? And I'm going to pick the Giants to, with the points to do the upset. And, uh, and in fact, you know, I don't feel clean about this. I would actually say when I say the Giants do the upset, the Giants just to win the game. Like, keep your points. The Giants will win the game. Yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. And, and you know, they're spooked by the pitch now. You know, does it, they're complaining about the, the facilities because the pitch got relayed during, during the offseason. Completely different turf that was there in the past three to four years. So they've come out saying that, that uh, there's something wrong with the turf and it caused all the injuries. No injuries really came out of the uh, Steelers-Joints game the week before that. But, yeah, come over and play on the, the spooky pitch on, on Sunday. 
Well, yeah, I mean, of course, it is like their house of horrors because they were playing in the stadium last week against the Jets where all these things happened. And, and that's actually an interesting thing for me. I must check, did this 49ers go back West Coast and come back over or did they stay on the East Coast? They went back. They went back. Well, yeah. you know, that's that's a lot of mayor miles. Anyway, move, moving on, um, Titans versus the Vikings. The Titans are tracking on this one, uh, giving two and a half points to the Vikings. Um you know, Vikings talk about underwhelming. What an appalling offensive performance they gave last Sunday. I mean, it was just woeful. Um, we couldn't right. have got it. We couldn't have got it more wrong. Me and you, Mark, we were all over the, the Vikings to uh, to win the game, and God, we couldn't have been more wrong. They were so inept. It was very surprising. I felt they would have reacted to the result against the Packers. It just wasn't there. Yeah, I think I think the the Colts came out unbelievably well last week with Taylor at running back. There's something about the Vikings that just they're just disappointing. Um, I think Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry had a big game last week. Uh, I at minus two, I'm going to go with the Titans for an easy win. I think something is happening uh, within Minnesota because they're just not functioning at all at the moment. And Kirk Cousins is, um, you know, just failing miserably. So I'm going to go with the Titans and. I think this could be a high-scoring game as well for them. My 86-year-old grandmother would have thrown better last week than Kirk Cousins. It was pathetic. But and I'm not saying that because the Vikings screwed up about five of my bloody accumulators. Um, but um, I, I usually have one key betting rule in life, which is never bet on a game involving the Cowboys because they're sure to screw it up one way or the other. I'm adding a second betting rule this season, which is never bet on the game involving the Vikings because they're so hit and miss. I actually think this week they're going to hit again. They're going to click a bit better. They will beat the Titans. So I'll take the Vikings plus two and a half. But again, do I feel happy about it? Do I feel clean? Do I feel like this is a good decision in my life? No, but I'll go with it anyway. So I'm going, to, I'm going back to the point you made earlier, Mark, when, it, when we discussed the Texans game, that, you know, you could argue the season's on the line now for the Vikings. Um, if they do, they're 0-3 zero, zero in the division. So on that basis, I'm going to pick the Vikings to get the win. Well, look, a um, few more games to cover. Um, the Washington football team um, versus the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Brian, maybe you want to take us through this one? Yeah, I think last weekend, in particular the Washington team, kind of came back to the reality that we expected. They won well in the first week against an Eagles team that self-destructed with a lead, but they went against a good cards team last weekend and they kind of came back down to earth and they were comfortably beaten. And then the Browns had that good win on Thursday night against the Bengals. So um, I'm picking the Browns here and I think the Browns will cover this and I think they will, this will be one of the games I would be putting in the accumulator this week and I think the Browns will win comfortably. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of my bankers, to be honest. Uh, Nick Chubb had a massive game last week, 124 yards over 22 carries. Um, Odell Beckham was also on fire, 74 yards. So, yeah, they just seem to be playing quite well um, after last week's game. The defense is letting up a lot of points, which is a little bit concerning. But, again, Dwayne Haskins, I'm, I, I don't see much in him at all. So, yeah, I'm getting Browns to cover this one handy enough. Yeah, I wouldn't say a banker, but I'm on you as well. The Browns to cover in this particular game. Um, we used to have the run group, run DMC. Of course, if you're a Panthers fan, you're very used to shouting out run CMC. 
but he won't be running for a couple of weeks, Christian McCaffrey being one of the many, many players injured last week. Because of that, I think it's clear why the line is uh, Panthers plus seven and a half in their game against the Chargers, who were, in Justin Herbert's extremely impressive debut, I would say, uh, much more than competitive against the Chiefs. In fact, they probably deserved to win the game until the Chiefs pulled it out. Brian, how did this Interestingly enough, Mark, the line has actually changed down to six and a half. It was seven and a half. It's gone down to six and a half. And I, I think the only thing I can think of there is the fact that Taylor's out and Her- Herbert, Justin Herbert would play this week. And maybe they feel that sometimes the second game for a rookie doesn't always play out the same way as the first game did because it's gone down. So certainly think Chargers minus six and a half. I'll be on that this week. Is it confirmed that Taylor's out for this game? Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Okay, that's fine, because Anthony, Anthony Lynn was coming out with some ridiculous comments about Taylor as a starter, etc. Um, to be honest, if Justin Herbert can play like he did last week, having no practice whatsoever, and the Panthers without McCaffrey, um, I'm going to back the Chargers at minus six and a half. Yeah, yeah I'm, uh, guys, I mean, look, lines can move, and um, Justin Herbert looked very impressive and gave the Chiefs more than they could handle in many ways. You're right, Brian, maybe with the second week, maybe people having the benefit of game film the Panthers will adjust to him. But without CMC, I don't see the Panthers doing much in offense. So I'll take those six and a half points and the Chargers, who were unlucky last week, but they were doing Chargers things and throwing away games like the Falcons do as well. So, um, but I'll take them this week. Um, I then come to a game where, you know, I kind of want to say, you know, 18, 19, 20 points. Like how many is too many to set the line for this game? The New York Jets, the epitome of the abomination of football in 2020, the pits of despair, the most woeful team that's ever invented by man. Um, you know, I'm just saying what most of the New York press generally says. Um, they are playing the Indianapolis Colts, and I'm not massively convinced by the Colts, but the line in this is Indy minus ten and a half, um, and it could go. It could go longer. I actually think it will probably go longer by the end of the week. Gold it's, it's, it's up to 11 to see. It's up to 11 or right. There you go. I, I knew it would move out. So, um, you know, what, how much is too much on this one? I mean, look, I'm not sold on the Colts, but yeah, Jesus Christ, I can't trust the Jets with anything other than being pathetic. Um, so I'll take the Colts. Still. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm going to take the Colts. Um, not sure if I'm going to take them to cover the, the 11 and a half, but I, I definitely think they're going to win. I'm actually going to take the overs in this one. It's 44 is the over points for this one. And I think I think the Colts will score at least 30 points, at least. And you would imagine the Jets will get some garbage time touchdown. Sam Darnold is still a good quarterback, uh, just the rest of his team is shit. So I'm going to go with the uh, the Colts for this one. There was a game last year when the Colts were at home to the Dolphins and they were minus 13.5 point favourites. They didn't cover and the Dolphins actually went in to Lucas Oil and won the game, which makes me nervous. Well, like you said, Mark, it's not so much the Colts at the moment, it's how bad the Jets are. I do think at some stage they will get a performance, but not this week. <clears throat> I think the Colts will win, I think they'll cover it to the 11, yeah? Yeah, I think the only problem with your, your theory, Gordon, is you're trusting the Colts to get 15 points in the over there. And I don't know if I'd trust them to pick up the garbage. Um, we're just about, it's about the time of the season when Sam Darnold's going to get mono again anyway, so... Yeah, <laughs> Um, <laughs> either that or you'd be knocked out for the season wouldn't you so boys we'll wrap up with a few quick games um, 
again, look, it feels like there's some great games on the slate. A really great game, potentially, with the excitement and certainly what we saw in week two, but even in terms of uh, opportunities uh, for teams and seeding already at this early stage in the NFC, the Cowboys, plus four and a half points, playing the Seahawks. Um, Cowboys obviously are only one and one. The Seahawks have started two and zero, oh. um, but you know this could be an important game come the end of the season. They all are important, but especially you know, are you a contender or a pretender? Um, my money is again. I don't bet on games involving the Cowboys anymore. They're too, they're not too unbelievable. But I think they're a roller coaster ride yet again this season, and they're going to let everyone down. And the Seahawks, Russ is the man this season. Um, after two weeks, he's the MVP favorite in my books. Um, and I think he's going to wipe the floor with them. And the Seahawks will win this quite comfortably. I wouldn't go with a comfortable win, but I think it'll be, I actually think it'll be a bit of a ding dong, similar enough to the, the game last Sunday night against the Patriots. That it'll be back and forth for three quarters, but inevitably, I think the, Se- the Seahawks will pull out the win. And I do think they'll cover the four and a half, which is up to five now. I think they'll win by a touchdown. Yeah, I think Seahawks will win, they'll cover. Uh, and I think this will be a high-scoring game. I think there'll be a lot of points in this game. Oh, it's over 56. It's quite high. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not confident it'll get over the 56, but I think it will be close close enough to it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Seahawks cover four and a half. And actually, we should have touched on, or we should we should touch on the over in any Falcons game because not only do they put up points, they clearly proved they have no concept of defense as well. So I'm sure the overs in their games will be high, but worth exploring every week. 47 and a half in that game, Mark. I'll take that. I'll take that. Quite comfortable this week. Um, next game, the Detroit Lions um, at the Arizona Cardinals. The Cards have had a great start to the season. I backed them. I said to you they're going to be exciting. And now with the 49ers injury list, certainly teams like the Hawks, obviously, but also the Cards are probably looking and saying, hey, is this division up for grabs now? They're giving five and a half points. And again, that line might move a bit more, but they're giving five and a half points to the Lions who – Continue to be a disappointment at times, um, but five and a half seems high. Gordo, I'm on the man. I've been on the Cardinals with you from the start. I think they're really, really good. I think Murray is phenomenal at quarterback, and I think again, Bill O'Brien, what an idiot as a GM to give up Hopkins. So I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals minus five, easy win. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sold on the cards just yet, but anyway, I'll be saying that all season. They'll probably end up in the sit bowl and I'll still be saying it. Um, but I do think they'll cover five and a half points because I just have no faith in the Lions. Um, I, I always worry about Matt Stafford throwing garbage time, time touchdowns to, again, backdoor cover or kind of try and launch a dramatic fourth quarter comeback. But I am high on the cards. I am very high on Kyler Murray. Another rushing touchdown last weekend. I think they win by a touchdown and they'll cover. Um, I'm not as convinced, however, in our next game that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to cover. They're minus six against the Denver Broncos. And again, this line might move dramatically with Drew Locke's injury and other injuries. Obviously, uh, Broncos already lost Von Miller for the season. I'm convinced, in my mind, the Bucs will win this game. But their offense still hasn't clicked and their defense has shown flashes, but also breakdowns. Um, they've too much for the Broncos in my book. But how comfortable is another question. I think Driscoll got sacked, I don't know how many times last week when he came in relief for Drew Locke. I think it was multiple, I think it was four or five sacks uh, in, in that game against the Steelers. 
Um, I'm going to go with uh, Tampa Bay to cover this one, minus six. I think Tom Brady is going to just make mince of, of them. So I'm going to go minus six for the, for the Bucks. He may have been sacked, but he still had a very good game, in fairness. He brought them back. You know, the mm-hmm. game was only a touchdown game. I'm going to take the Broncos with the points because I think the Broncos, they're getting six points. I'm not saying they're going to win the game, but I'm going to take them with the points. Okay. Uh, do you know what? I am going to pick the Broncos to win the game. Because they played well last week, and they did all right the week before that. I know the kicker for the Titans had a disaster, but they were still in the game. They've been in two close games. I think their luck is going to change this week. I'm picking the Broncos to win the match. Def Leppard used to have a song when love and hate collide. And whenever there's a game involving Tom Brady, it's when Brian O'Leary's love to hate Tom Brady collides. Um, anyway, you're picking the Broncos. We'll wait and see. Guys, we'll round out the two... I mean, there's a crackerjack week if you want the primetime games. The Sunday night game, Packers versus Saints. And the Monday night game, again, another great one on Monday night football, the Chiefs versus Ravens. If these were the two championship games this season, I don't think anybody would be surprised, in fairness. Um, how do you see them both going? Uh, and Brian, take us through the lines on them. Yeah, so the late Sunday night game is the Saints at home to the Packers. The Packers are getting three points. Um, I think what we saw from the Saints on Monday night was the Michael Thomas effect. When he's not there, it, it does a big gap in their offense. They brought in... Um, the 49ers, um, I want to say for Captain Carter's name, um, Manuel Sanders. Manuel Sanders, sorry, so he's to step up, but I think he was probably there to support Michael Thomas. And I think it's a big loss to them. And I'm picking the Packers to win the game. They're getting three points, but I'm actually going to take them to six to four to win the game. I think the Packers will go win and win, win that game. Yeah, I'm kind of, I, I, someone said it to on another podcast about uh, Aaron Rodgers is on a vengeance tour, and very much so. I think that Jordan Love pick is going into the distance more and more as it goes on. I think he wins this game for them. I think he covers as well. Um, and then on the Chiefs-Ravens game, you mentioned I'm back in the Chiefs actually come out and have a very big game after what was a, a lacklustre performance against a rookie QB last week. So I think uh, I'm going to back the Chiefs who have a, a plus three spread in that one. You're, get, you're getting three points as well for the Packers, yeah. Gordon. Gordon you're, you're plus three points. Oh, sorry, plus three points for the Packers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, yeah, sorry, I might as well finish while, while Gordon's touched on it. Um, Cheney Mac. No, I'm going to take the Ravens to, to win and cover. Three and a half. Um, um, I just don't think the Chiefs have got going offensively just yet. The first game, they only clicked into gear in the second half and last week against the Chargers, I thought they were quite poor. So um, I think the Ravens are the hot, the hot team at the moment. Pick the Ravens to win and cover. I agree that the Chiefs haven't got going yet. I also agree that the one thing that can control their game more than anything is a controlled running attack, which the Ravens definitely have. But, you know, you're going to give Pat Mahomes points. I'm sorry, I've got to be on the Chiefs on this. And I think they're tracking at 8-5 straight up to win. Um, That's a ridiculous price for a team they're talented. So even though it's not a great matchup, I'll take the Chiefs. And Packers Saints... Yeah, like you guys, I'm worried that we're running off the Saints too quickly. Obviously, a good week one win against the Bucks. Pretty abject performance last night, though. Oh, sorry, last Monday night. Um, but yeah, we'll take the Packers. I think it's not about Aaron Rodgers, though, necessarily for me. It's about Aaron Jones. And it's about the dynamism he's bringing to that running game. 168 yards or something, couple of touchdowns, as well as a threat in the backfield as a receiver. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that for them. 
it's not so much I'm right off the Saints just yeah I just feel right now going into week three Packers are are clicking and the Saints are bits Saints aren't you know so yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm with you. But look, I, guys, I think they are two of the games definitely we'll be talking about next week because there'll be excitement galore. We hope there'll be excitement galore. There should be excellent games uh, for anyone that's staying up into the middle of the night or catching up on you know, the Rick Sky Plus or uh, Game Pass first thing the next morning. Um, before we close out, Gordo, maybe with our friends from horseriding.ie, you want to take us through a couple of uh, the betting things in accordance with... Uh, a betting guru, Mr. O'Leary. Yeah, another uh, decent enough week for uh, Mr. Brian O'Leary last week, and he's uh, he's making people money out there if you're following him. Uh, as we said, we've teamed up this year with IrishRacingBuddy.ie, so you find all of his picks every week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, as we've done for the last two weeks, Brian, give us the banker bet. What is what is the one to throw the house on? You might laugh at this one because I've been I keep saying I'm not I'm not a fan of them, but yeah, I'm going to pick the Cardinals as the banker. This week, <laughs> minus five and a half points, and it's more so because the Lions are just the Lions, and the Cardinals have started off well. Um, and they're five and a half points, which I think is quite low. I thought it would have been seven, seven and a half. So I think, yeah, they'll cover that. And we, I think that's the banker bet. In terms of the accumulator, obviously, I'm going to leave them in there. I'm going to take Seattle at home minus five against the Cowboys. I'll take the Cardinals minus five and a half, and I'll take the Chargers minus six and a half. So those games aren't until the nine o'clock slot. So the treble is actually in the later games this week. And then on the quarterback side, because you know how I like to give you a quarterback bet, I'm moving away from Josh Allen this week because I feel the Rams' defense has done quite well. But I'm picking Cam again to score. He was 3-1 on Sunday night to score. The Bucs still have him overpriced, so I was on that. So Cam to score and Kyler Murray to score in a double. Yeah, I, I like that one. I, I, think, I think a Cam-Kyler double is a really interesting one. I think obviously in the treble one there, it's the Chargers. That's that's probably the one that people will be, as Mark raised, is Justin Herbert a flash in the pan or can he do it for two weeks in a row? But again, there are three great bets. Uh, the banker bet again, the Cardinals, minus five and a half. We might get Brian O'Leary on the hype train by the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, that's our betting for week three of the NFL. Uh, as we said, in association with irishracingbuddy.ie. So again, you'll find it all on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Excellent, gents. Well, look, um, we're two weeks down, one-eighth of the season gone. There's plenty more excitement to go, but stay up late on Sunday and Monday night, I would say, this week, because the fireworks are going to go off. Next week is a special podcast, Mark. Do you know why? Go on, Brian. Because the Giants Giants are the fun. Those, those podcasts are rare indeed, so you should save them when they exist. Um, we will wait to see the results <laughs> of those games, and if indeed they can win, um, again. But um, thank you both, gents, for joining me once again, and uh, look forward to chatting about it all on Tuesday next week when we get to analyse back what's happened in week three of the NFL. Until then, good night.